coming up. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, Michael Dell goes for the glory and bank earnings heat up earnings season. Bringing the world to your ears. Award-winning reporters. Original insights. Now, from the newsroom of the Wall Street Journal, Money Beat. Good afternoon, everybody. I am Paul Vigna, joined today by my boss, Stephen Grosser, so I have to behave on this podcast. Heard on the streets, John Carney and CFO Journal's Vipul Manga. We are going to talk about two subjects that I, I have to admit it, up at the top, gentlemen. I have not been following very closely. I really do, can't say that I know an awful lot about them, but uh, I do know about Michael Dell, and I do know about Dell Computers, and I do know that he is making a really big stab at at creating a new empire within the PC business. Is it 15 years too late, people? Uh, I think it, his timing is good at this point. You uh, do? Yeah, I do. I do Why? think. Uh, well, the thing is, is he's doing it. It's not, it's creating a private empire. I think that, that that's key. And I think it might be a little late, but not 15 years. The thing that's allowing him to do this are the wide open debt markets. I think being able to take the company private away from the public market, its timing is great. But yeah. that's, I mean, I guess the question is how wide open are the debt markets right now and how much longer are they going to stay wide open? Uh, and that's why I said he was maybe a little late on yeah, that. Yeah. Um, things are kind of frothy or volatile in the, the debt market. It's kind of unclear. That's probably the biggest uncertainty that they're taking in right now. Because a certain portion of this is going to be high yield debt, which has actually been is down on the year. Yeah. And then uh, investors are really mm. kind of scared of risk. Now, th- from what I've heard, they're actually going to be trying to get a large buy-in from the investment-grade uh, debt markets. And if they right. do, then um, it might be the sky's the limit. I, I also think that looking uh, – people are really scared of certain segments of the high-yield debt market right now. Technology is not one of right. them. So Energy you, certainly is. Energy right. is yeah. absolutely uh, anything linked to commodities, companies right. – that were you know drilling, digging, any of those guys, uh, people are nervous about. But there is a certain amount of high yield debt appetite that's still there. So this actually could be timed well to take advantage of people getting out of one segment of the high yield market and going into the other segment. And and Dell also to build on that point has you know it took out a lot of debt when it went private uh, right. two years ago, and it, it's got it. You know the rating agencies have upgraded it. Um, and it's done a good job of paying down its debt. So, I mean, you know, from an investor standpoint, it might feel less risky. And I suppose this is a question that really we will only be able to to answer in the fullness of time. But I'll, I'll ask it now anyhow because I think people should be thinking about it. Is the fact that he did take the company public two years ago, has that affected this deal in any way? I mean, there have been other big deals with public companies. I mean, but does – I'm just trying to figure out – I don't know the answer. Is the fact that he took Dell Private kind of make this – the, the mechanics of this deal different? And is this maybe a, or, or maybe not an indication that things have been going pretty well since he took the company private? Do we know? Can we discern that? Well, I talked to some um, uh, investors uh, in uh, who'd been in Dell and, and are in EMC, and they're still pretty peeved at what happened at Dell because they, they – he you know, resisted really raising the price for the company, and lo and behold, the company's done really well since, um, and the shareholders feel that they were kind of taken advantage of, and there's some sense that he might be doing that again with uh, EMC, although Elliot, uh, you know, the, the activist that's in there, seems pretty happy with the deal. But, I mean, it, there's no doubt. I mean, the, that was a big fight. I mean, with a lot of, you know, you know, Carl Icahn was in there pushing for it, They're, you know, back two years ago for Dell. And the big complaint was that he was, you know, buying it out at the very bottom, you know, when PC sales were really, you know, had been just 
crushing the company's bottom line. And, he, you know, they weren't going to get the upside when he turned the, you know, began turning this company around. And it seems like, you know, based on, you know, some of the reporting that, you know, uh, the, that we've done here is that it, Dell has seen a big increase in its valuation um, over the last two years. And that's why they're able to do this deal. That was a $25 billion buyout. And they're doing a $67 billion acquisition. That's right. The, you don't see that too often. The investors I talk to keep wishing that uh, Icon gets back in and starts agitating again on this deal. That they think that's the only thing that'll that's stopping it, and they really want to see Carl in there. Wow. Uh, do we do we think is there any sense that they're? I mean, is sixty-seven billion dollars is a lot of money. I don't know how you really get a bidding war at that price, but this is Wall Street. I mean, is there any sense that somebody else could come in and try to outbid Dell? Well, a couple of interesting things. One, the Go Shop sixty days, which is. Longer than my sense is longer than Long, the usual thirty to forty five thirty yeah. right. So this could be a real go shop. I mean, it's double the amount of time. Um, I heard, and this is you know not totally substantiated, but that books didn't really go out, even though they said they'd you know been looking at alternatives. So when you might, say books, what does that what that means? The the bidding process didn't actually start. They didn't send the deal book to the other potential bidders. Yeah. Um, so there might the other bidders might not have been sounded out. So you could, who knows, maybe you'll see a Cisco kind. To take the yeah. opposite side of that, I look at the 60-day uh, go shop provision as almost the Dell guys being like, yeah, whatever. You know, we're, we're putting up a lot of money for this. We can give you 60 days if you want it. You're not going to beat that. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's pull this back for a second. I've long thought that Dell's high water mark of court, and it's, it's ironic almost, Dell's high water mark was the dude you're getting a Dell ad campaign. They were at the top of the world, the world's biggest computer seller, the PC revolution, all that stuff. Uh, the guy, his name escapes me, gets busted for buying pot at some park in Manhattan. His career goes down in flames. And concurrently, Dell, I don't think, was ever really the same, which, again, is why I go back to the, the question I asked at the top of this. Are they 15 years too late on this deal? Is there a market? Well, is I there a world for desktop and laptop computers? And I'm a Luddite. I have a desktop and a laptop. Um, but I, I'm a Luddite. I'm 47 that, years old. I'm not. Is this deal way too late to make any difference? Well, first, that's not what they're trying to do with that deal. I mean, when you talk laptops and PCs, I mean, what they're really trying to do is serve corporate clients. And they're talking with storage servers. Right. Like, you, like, no matter who you are, we're going to be able to... You uh, another know, highly competitive business. Right. You were, they're going up against, you know, the Oracles, the yes. Hewlett Packards, right. the Cisco. Say nothing of startups coming out of nowhere. And, and and I think the getting, you know, back to the, you know, one, one of the points you were making about another bidder for EMC. EMC is not, you know, hasn't been the best performing company. Its stock hasn't done right. great. You, you look at its growth, it's, you know, it's not growing very quickly. So, you know... The question is, you know, they're trying to transform, you know, Dell's trying to transform itself from back from where it was 15, where it was selling the cheap right. PCs, Which laptops. Which they should have done 10 years I mean, ago at least. In, in, in fact, Dell in many ways, you know, sort of brought its own decline in because it commoditized right. the PC yes. and laptop. And then, you know, all of a sudden there's no growth there. They need to find growth somewhere else. But, you know, that's the big question is whether they can, you know, really take on, you know, this if this deal will allow them to take on the IBMs, the Cisco's right. you know, and the Hewlett Packard's. And Hewlett Packard, interestingly enough, is shrinking down right now. Well, I, I say if you look around at what Dell's doing, look, the, the, the consumer PC market that Dell once thrived at is gone right. dead right. and is further dying every year. 
So, you know, what can they do? If you look around corporate offices in America, it's clear that Dell still has a sales force that is selling to these people. But they know that business is also in trouble. People aren't going to have the little uh, computer terminals, you know, under their desk Mm -hmm. like so many people do. Um, And so instead they're trying to say, okay, we've got these connections to corporate America still and our business is working on that. Let's take the technology of these guys, the EMC guys, and say we can use that to sell to our currently existing corporate clients and future corporate clients. Get in on the business and say, like, look, we were the cheaper guys when we were selling the laptops. I'm pretty sure that that's going to be their value proposition to corporate America. Looks, you know, the the oracles of the world, they're overcharging you guys. We'll come in and, you know, we know how to do this and we can do it at a rate that, you know, is much better than you're getting right now. And and I do think that Dell recognized the sort of fading business model they had when he took his company private. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, Michael, Dell was, his idea was we need to change things. We need to do it out of the glare of the public eye. And just based on evaluation, they've done a good job. Yeah. All right. Uh, dude, you're getting the last word. We will take a quick break. We'll be back in one second. Talk about bank earnings. They're here. All new podcasts from The Wall Street Journal, including Your Money Matters, all week long, Heard on the Street. I'm Alex Frangos. Hi, I'm Miriam Gottfried with Heard on the Street. Be sure to tune in to our podcast where we talk about financial issues. The latest on global investing. The Chinese economy. Stocks and bonds. The biotech industry. Companies and the latest things going on. All over the world. Your Money Matters from The Wall Street Journal. Ambition comes with earbuds. Now. Money beat. It is earnings season. Third quarter corporate profits are going to start pouring in this week. We had Alcoa last week as sort of the the appetizer. Not a good report either. This week things are heating up a little bit, and the sector we're going to focus on today are the banks. All the banks report early. All the big ones will be out by Friday. Uh, Carney, I want to start it off with you. Broadly speaking, what do I expect to see out of the big Wall Street banks? Minimal earnings growth. They're really? going to look a lot like they did last year. Uh, they're expected, most of the big banks are expected just to see either flat to a couple percentages points better. Uh, the And this is mostly because, again, uh, people thought interest rates were going to go up. So way earlier in the year, everybody had much better expectations for how the, the, the second half of 2015 was going to go. If you look at what analysts have done, they've pulled their earnings estimates back a lot. So um, we're going to see very low numbers coming out of most of the big banks, very similar to what they reported last year. Perhaps even a few that show that they haven't grown at all or that earnings have shrunk since last year. But uh, since expectations are so low, that probably, you know, the, the, the bar is set very low for the banks. So you probably won't see, you know, earnings come out and then people panic and sell. Yeah. People don't expect them to do very well this year. So, um, you know, they'll, they'll do OK. The exception, there is one exception to this. That's Bank of America. Remember a why year, Bank of America? Yeah, why? Right. A year ago, Bank of America reported initially a one cent loss in the third quarter. Then they had to come back and say, actually, no, we have a bigger litigation expense. The loss pushed up to four cents. They're expected to make 34 cents per share uh, this quarter. So obviously, you know, that's a huge, giant percentage increase. I guess, it, you know, in some ways it's an infinite percentage increase from a negative number. So, you know, if they make their number, you know, you'll see like, you know, Bank of America earnings rise dramatically. 
Um, it's still not that impressive of a number, to be right. honest. Um, but, you, you know, because they have such an easy comparable. Um, sure. And Citigroup also uh, had a rough quarter. They also had the retroactive litigation charge. And so they'll do better. But banks like J.P. Morgan, Goldman, they're going to get uh, yeah. they're going to see pretty, you know, mediocre, sad results. Stephen Grosser, well, you gonna... will be in early every day this week. I no, think. that's not true. Actually. Not true. You not and Marine. True. Not true. Aren't you guys live blogging the earnings. J.P. Morgan, because of uh, <laughs> thanks to Bank of America, is reporting after the bell tomorrow. They the, are they're giving us a nice respite from getting in here at 7 a.m. But, but uh, why? Because Bank of America is reporting early? The Bank of America decided to report on Wednesday with um, Wells Fargo. J.P. Morgan, um, that you know, normally reports on the same day as Wells Fargo. I think they had been planning uh, to report on Wednesday wow. and had to move up to after the bell. After so the bell. Tuesday afternoon. Remember so only that- two days a week, two days this week will we have to get in. But I wanted to build on yeah. one of the points that John made was about the earnings. So this just speaks to how badly corporate earnings are. The financial sector, thanks largely to banks, is going to be one of the few sectors that actually reports positive earnings growth. However, I think uh, uh, their earnings are coming in quicker right now than any other sector other than materials, which includes miners and all You mean that. their earnings estimates are coming earnings in? Earnings estimates, they're yeah, down. they're falling right, down. Right, right, right. So, I mean, like, you know, it's, it, they're, not, they're not coming into the quarter well, with a lot of, um, I think, momentum. And, and, you know, and, and that, that raises a really important question. Are there any, you know, bigger little grenades or bombs, you know, lurking on these balance sheets? I mean, there's a lot of debt out there. You were talking about it earlier. Energy companies are, are really sucking the gas pipe, no pun intended at this point. Are, are there, is there anything lurking on these balance sheets that we may see this quarter? Um, well, I, I don't think there's like a the black swan kind of thing that, that we're not looking at. One yeah. thing I have been tracking, though, is companies buying each other's debt. And there's a lot of companies that have exposure to each other just through the debt market. So that could be an issue, but mm-hmm. it's a longer-term issue. The thing I am interested about uh, looking at bank earnings this season is what happens to Bank of America's management if they miss. Because they've been in the news more right. and, and what have you. So, And I think that a miss for them is, is pretty bad. For right. Well, and uh, it's bad for two reasons. One, because that... Earnings upside, the reason why the financials and banks are supposed to do well is largely built on the fact that Bank of America is going to show such an mm-hmm. increase in right. earnings. Exactly. If they do not, then the financial sector as a whole will look very bad. And again, since the bar is so low, if you miss this time around, that's really bad for you because it means, you know, it's one thing when everybody thinks things are going well and then you have like a litigation charge and you're like, oh, one time, you know, error. When everybody thinks you're going to do pretty badly and you do and worse, you do worse. That, then, then that really sort of takes the heart out of right. people's expectations for you and makes them start to doubt whether management can execute and perform and, you know, start to improve things. After I what, would, less than a month after they had a contentious shareholder vote on the yeah, chairman's chairman right. yeah, yeah. right. Which he survived. Which he yeah. survived. Yeah. One of the questions I have for uh, John is, is, is simply like, with the you know the overhang of rates, the Fed you know holding off doing that, how much upside if the banks you know perform well or beat expectations, how much upside can there be in their stock with the the uncertainty about when the Fed will start raising rates, um, hanging there, I would and continuing to hang there. 
Not very much. I mean, when people, if you look at what's happened, not just to the third quarter earnings, but to people's earnings expectations for 2016 and even 2017 are starting to come down now. So people are saying that because of what it looks like the Fed's stance is going to be, not just like exactly when they raise rates, but the long-term trajectory of rates uh, probably means that earnings are going to stay low for longer, right? That was the old word right. for the Fed policy. It's now the new word for bank earnings, lower for longer. Yeah, I think in the last thing, we should wrap this up, but uh, the, the last thing I want to say is what, what I think will be interesting to watch this quarter is everyone knows that earnings are going to be bad. Uh, the expectations are that overall S&P profits will contract for the second quarter, technically an earnings recession. But I think whether people get really worried about earnings or not will be how every sector but energy does, because everyone knows energy is yeah. going to be terrible and bring it down. The question is going to be, what do the other sectors look like? Like, how much can they earn? Like, how much do, they, do their earnings grow without uh, right. excluding energy right. is the real right. question. And, it, and, it really matters. And there will be a big question about how they talk about the future, right? If, yeah. if, if they were able to say, like, yeah, look, you know, we had some setbacks this quarter, but we really think we're, 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 we're highly geared to things improving in the future. But that seems unlikely to me, to be honest. I, yeah. I think they're going to say, like, very slow down around yeah. the globe. Yeah. Possible infection well, into right. the U.S., um, that really hurts the right, ability right. of uh, companies, including banks, to grow their earnings. Well, so far, 23 companies in S&P 500 have reported earnings, and 18 have mentioned the higher dollar. Only two have mentioned uh, energy so far. Hmm. Uh, Grosser so, with the numbers. Yeah. The numbers game, Stephen Grosser. And, and uh, this isn't uh, – we haven't talked – we wrote a story that's um, – today about profit margins and now people will be looking at profit margins. I saw a survey of middle market private companies, which there's a fair amount of correlation between them and the larger companies, and their profit margins have been coming in quite steeply. So hmm. that says anything. The, right. the, the, the dollar strength also hurts the banks because remember, they have global operations and the way their capital requirements are measured, um, when the dollar strengthens, their capital requirements actually increase uh, compared with the rest of the world. And so the dollar strength actually, even though it doesn't necessarily hurt the banks uh, or make them structurally weaker in any way, it just mechanically hurts the, the way their capital requirements are, are calculated. And so less returns to shareholders. Wow. All right. Let's leave it there. Gentlemen, I want to thank you very much. Stephen Grosser, John Carney, Vipal Manga. I am Paul Vigna. Everybody, we will see you next Monday. Have a great week. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.